God is... He blows my mind every time. <laughs> yeah. What can I add to that? Um, God is good. <laughs> Come on. That's awesome. Okay. Okay. Can you listen while you get tea and do that stuff? That would be great. If God's still doing stuff, just stay in that place. I don't want this to be a distraction. You know, I'd rather you hear what God's saying to you than necessarily what I'm saying to you. But hopefully what I'm going to say is going to be good. So, yeah, fingers crossed, eh? So, um, where am I going to start? So we're going to talk about Jesus, although he's disappeared off the screen. Does this... Oh, oh! There we go, we're going to... We're going to talk about Jesus and the cross today. So just a bit of, of where I'm at and where I'm coming from with this. I um, A couple of years ago, I had a real moment where I I got very frustrated with, with where I was and what I was, I don't know, what's the word? It was just a moment where I decided, what is all this then? Because <laughs> I'd grown up in the church from a baby. I'd been in the church, and um, it's great. Church is really great. But I kind of realized after a while, I you pick up things as you go through, right? You just pick up things, and they're good things, and they're there for a reason, and there's, there's, I don't want to badmouth church but as you grow up you just kind of pick up this is how we do it and you kind of don't ask the why you just kind of get into this is this is what we do we come in we do some worship we talk about Jesus we talk about the Holy Spirit we talk about God and it's good and all of that stuff is really really good um, but sometimes we have to stop and ask why and around the age of how old uh, 26 is when I had Lexi, my my oldest daughter. Um, I really felt like, oh, I've done all the good stuff. I've done church stuff for ages. I've I lead worship. That's really good, and my life's been going up to this point. And then I had Lexi, kind of thinking, oh man, yeah, I'm going to be a dad. This is awesome. And I love my kids, don't get me wrong here, but I suddenly realized this is not it. Just coming in and um, doing church and leading worship, which is awesome, and having that's not it. And so I had a real moment of, okay, I'm going to chuck all of this in the air. I'm not going to hold on to anything. Anything that I've been holding on to tightly for however long in my life, I'm going to let go of at this moment and I'm going to say, okay, what is all of this? (laughs) And that involves asking an awful lot of questions, right? Just like the Pharisees did. They asked a lot of questions and they asked a lot of very good questions. And I suppose just to start off as as an aside, questioning God is really good because questions start conversations, if you want to have a relationship with someone 
at some point you're probably going to have to have a conversation with them, right? Right? <laughs> That's going to have to happen. At some point I'm going to have to go, what is all this about then, God? My kids, when they, they, my conversations with my kids, it's always why and what and can we do this and how does this work and right? And the why questions can get... Um, they test your patience, definitely. That's how I would put it. <laughs> but they're fun, and they're, they're finding stuff out. Um, so that was good. And so for a lot of years, I've been questioning, well, why do we do this? Why do we do that? Um, and you kind of have to almost take yourself out of the place you are and kind of spend a bit of time looking in from the outside as to what is all this about. And that's brilliant. But... That, that gets incredibly tiring when you question everything and you don't settle on something. Right? It's like, at some point, I cannot just go through my life questioning everything because I will be blown from here to there and I will go with this person saying, oh, that's good, and that, then this person says something, offers it, oh, no, maybe that's good, but what is that about? And at some point, you have to land somewhere, right? A bird can only fly for so long it, at some point, it has to eat. It has to rest. It cannot just keep going like that. And so, <clears throat> so that's one part where I'm coming from. This is, this is where I've landed. What I'm going to share with you, some of what I'm going to share with you today is where I have landed. Secondly, I realized I've become quite unfamiliar with Jesus and the cross. Having grown up with it, you just kind of take it as you kind of learn from other people. Yeah, it's Jesus on the cross. He died for your sins. And now here we are. And God's good and all of that stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it quite quickly can become, a, oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, we're going to talk about Jesus on the cross. Maybe you sat down today and thought, oh, I, I know that. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins. There's some stuff to do with blood. And that's great, you know. But what that does is, so that's the unfamiliarity breeds contempt, which is the, oh yeah, I already know that. We don't really need to talk about that, do we? Everyone kind of understands. And then what that does is breed unfamiliarity with it when you come back to it. And so I found I became, I had become very kind of unfamiliar with Jesus and what he did. Okay, so there are two things. I've landed somewhere. I have become unfamiliar and the third thing which has been happening for me recently is um, I do a lot of, I read a lot of books and I, I love to learn and I love to hear different perspectives. But I was, um, <laughs> I was in a bath recently, don't think in pictures, and I was just listening to some music and reading something and this, this thought popped into my head of... Am I living my life out of someone else's revelation? Or am I living my life out of what Jesus has spoken to me? Because I like, I like to consume. I like to hear new... Th like we all do, I think. We like to hear new things. We like to hear stuff like that. But there's something different about when this is something God has revealed to me. 
as to this is just a really nice thought or idea that I really grasp from someone else. So, maybe what I'm going to share with you today is something that you've, you already know and you've heard before. But this is where I am at the moment and this is where I have landed. So, without further ado, let's click. So we're going to go through three parts. I want to leave time at the end for communion because if we're talking about the cross and Jesus, I think communion is the best way to kind of experience God after this. So we'll see. We'll just see how we go. Um, so number one is this, John 1.1. 1, 1. In fact, the whole first part of John I love, that kind of first passage about Jesus and God is just fantastic. But it is this. <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the thing I hadn't noticed until recently was, it's not words, it is Word. Okay? So Jesus, let's start here, Jesus is the Word. Okay? And I hadn't realized that. Right, I love looking at the Old Testament, and you know, God is this, and He did this, and it's like good, but this is the Word, okay? Jesus is the Word of God, and we cannot kind of. It's like we can't go past that. We can't. We can't look anywhere in the Bible and not take Jesus with us, right? When we read, He has to be there. He has to be in the center of it all, like we were saying. He's the center of it all, Jesus. So, can anyone tell me what these are? Any guesses as to what these might be? What do you think? A pet or what? This looks like some kind of medical implement, maybe. Maybe it's an earplug. Is the left one a Hoover? <laughs> It could be a Hoover. What kind of Hoover do you have? <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah. Possibly. Any more? Any other ideas what these might be? A baby's dummy. Yeah. Oh, the little... Th oh, the, the bottle. Yeah, 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 yeah. A teat. Very good, yeah. Any more guesses? Any more? A wing mirror. Oh, it could. Could be a wing mirror. That's good. That's good. What? Shall I show you what they are? Well, the one on the right is is this. It's one of those little USB things that you put in your car, so you can charge your phone. Can you see it? And that one over there. Not a lot. Phil will know what this is. What's that, Phil? It's a guitar tuner. And you clip it on the end of your guitar. So that little red thing on the end of my guitar when I lead, that's what it is. It's this. Okay. So point number two. When we come to Jesus, do you remember these? The law is but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. 
It can never by the same sacrifices that continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. And Colossians 2, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of blah, blah, blah. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So when I come, wherever I am, whether I'm experiencing God in worship, whether I'm I'm reading this, Jesus is it. Okay? So wherever I'm reading in the Bible, reading through the Old Testament and all of those, Jesus is it. He is higher than all of those things, okay? When I'm looking for this, I don't go around thinking, (laughs) looking for the shadow. I don't get a torch out and go, oh, I really hope it casts the right shadow so I can find it. Do I? I look for the actual thing. Okay? So this is what we're doing. So whenever you come into a meeting or anything like that and you begin to feel God, it's like, okay, here we go. Can I feel Jesus in this place? When I go to work or I'm in a situation at work, do I feel Jesus here? When I'm reading the Bible, wherever it is, do I see Jesus? Do I find Jesus? Is there something that resonates about Jesus in here for me? <clears throat> okay? So, shadows. That's good. Da, 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 da. I was hoping to fit my notes on one page of A4, but there are five, so we'll see how this, this happens. Okay. What's the next bit? Do you remember Jesus said this? So he said, who is the greatest prophet? And Jesus says, it's John. John the Baptist was the greatest. But I have a testimony that is even greater than that of John. Okay? So again, I'm just going to keep hammering this point home. Jesus is it. Okay? Any, anything else doesn't cut the mustard okay jesus is the authority over everything jesus is the authority over this okay jesus is the revelation of god he it is not that i have i read this and god's done this and here's this and here's this it's not that he's not a revelation alongside other revelations he is he is the revelation you cannot get past it i'm going to say this a lot you cannot get past jesus okay he is it. It's good, as long as we're getting that. Okay, so Jesus came, um, and if he is the perfect uh, revelation of God, then what did he come here to do? What did Jesus come, come to do? He came here to die, didn't he? It says, uh, I told you, I say, Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, the very purpose of Jesus coming is the cross. Jesus on the cross. And the voice came above, uh, glorifying. <clears throat> Not only that, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven which said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. So Jesus on the cross is the glory of God. Okay? So Jesus revealed God in everything that he did, in every way that he went. But what he actually came to do to give the truest reflection of Father God and who he is, is the cross. That is the ultimate picture 
of who God is. If ever you are struggling with, oh my word, God, what is it? Go and read any of the Gospels because Jesus on the cross is it. There is no higher revelation than that. There is nothing that can come close to being alongside it. That is it. And we, we believe that God is love. Right? Everyone believes that God is love? Yes. Good. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. He definitely does. But what is love? Okay, because love, when you say love to someone nowadays, it can mean a bunch of different things, right? I, I love my wife and I love my kids, but they're two very different kinds of love, right? I love my friends, but I wouldn't love them in the same way I love my wife or my kids, <laughs> right? So we know what love is though, don't we? We know that in 1 Corinthians it's this, okay? Patient, kind, it's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It, it does not demand its own way. Think about that with God. That messes with you, doesn't it? It does not demand its own way. Thank John Pocock for that. <clears throat> it's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is God. This is Jesus on the cross. And we're called to follow him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And I thought what Bri was sharing yesterday about, we've got to lay ourselves down for other people. Pick up our cross. And maybe there's going to be some suffering in that. Yeah. Um, okay, just a word on suffering. Um, it's very different me choosing to do something through the power that I have. That is good suffering, okay? Because I have chosen to do that. God is not okay with someone else <laughs> causing me to suffer, okay? That's, that's Egypt. That's the Israelites in Egypt. That's slavery. Someone else exerting their power and in that I suffer, not cool, not good. But me choosing with the power that I have to say, you know what, I'm going to lay myself down for you. I'm going to go and be inconvenienced for you. That is the power of God. That is what suffering is. That is what taking up your cross looks like. <clears throat> and, and like Brian, I've been challenged about, well, what, what do I... What do I do <laughs> with that? You know, do I do that enough? Because my natural tendency is to be in here and do the worship and what's the Holy Spirit doing? And it's kind of, it's nice in here, right? It's safe sometimes. <laughs> unless, it, unless it's Monday night and you're at the front with a microphone and you don't know what's happening. But it's awesome. And I'll take that every day of the week, being uncomfortable. 
Um, but what do I do? What do I do in my in my neighborhood? What do I? How do I do that? You know, what what am what am I laying my life down for? So, I just let you ponder that. Where are we going next? <clears throat> Oh, yeah, look. C.S. Lewis said this. Jesus is what the Father has to say to us. Just to show you that I'm not mad. And it's always nice if you think you're going to burn, someone else is going to burn with you, so that's okay. And he seems pretty good. Do you ever think that sometimes? You think, oh, am I allowed to think this? Am I allowed to say this? And then you hear someone else say it, and you think, oh, if we're all going to go to hell together, phew. I just don't want to be on my own there. Um, But that's it. I think this sums it up. Jesus is what the Father has to say. If I can find Jesus in the word that's given to me, if I can find Jesus in in the Bible, in the word here, come on. That's what we're aiming for. So that's good. So that's Jesus and just kind of where I've landed. That's like the anchor for my life. It feels like that is the foundation for me now of that. Like I know this is what God has said to me. This is something that God has shown me. And it's, it's, it's come through some people um, reading some things that have highlighted it to me, but it's suddenly it's become from knowing to knowing, right? That, that kind of, I would, you know, fight anyone any day with this. I truly believe it. I don't think you're going to stop me believing that for the rest of my life, that Jesus is it. That he is the one that he's, I'm, the firm foundation that I'm fixed on. That That is God. That is what he is like. Self-giving, self-sacrificing, patient, loving God who is always for me and always blessing me and always giving out in every moment. And I, And we hope to become a shadow of that if we can. <laughs> so, that's good. <clears throat> so let's talk about blood because that's something we don't have a lot of contact with nowadays. Blood and all of that kind of thing. And it's always kind of, um, we say things like, oh yeah man, we're covered in the blood of Christ. And you think, you step back from that when someone says that and you think, do I want that? Do I want, do you know, if you said that to someone, oh yeah, our church just covered in the blood of the lamb. Do you meet in an abattoir? Or what's, what's going on here, right? <laughs> Is it a Quentin Tarantino movie every Sunday <laughs> at your church? <laughs> so, oh yeah, let's have a look at this. So, we're going to go to 1660. As a small story. To this place, this is the Royal Society in London. And in 1660, it's kind of the beginning of the Enlightenment era. We're kind of deciding we want to find out how this stuff works. Like, what is this? How, what is that? And um, it's kind of a mad place at the beginning. So it's, this is the beginning kind of, of science and stuff, right? So, uh, But it's, it's kind of, we don't really know anything about what this could, we don't know that, you know, I don't know, that 
oh, <laughs> sheep can't moo or something. I don't know. Um, so they have, everything is up for grabs and there are experiments and things. People come and experiment with all sorts. And so some people are saying, look what I can do if we put this under enough pressure, this happens. And then he's sitting next to someone who says, if we tune the violin like this, maybe this was going to open a portal into the heavens. And then there's someone with a potato in the shape of a unicorn next to him and he wants to show that off and like maybe we can make all potatoes look like unicorns and so it's kind of anything goes but there's this one experiment that I've heard of that um, uh, is, is fascinating which is about blood and what this they wanted to kind of find out well what is blood it's this kind of red stuff and I imagine from when the first person stabbed someone they re and it started coming out and they died, they realised we probably need it. It's probably quite special. We probably need it in us. <coughs> um, and so they're kind of thinking, right, so what can we do? What can we do to kind of see what this stuff is? And so what they do is they put an ad in the paper and they want to find a madman. This is the words, they want to find a madman. So what do you do? You put an ad in a paper, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and they put an ad to find a madman. And I realise that's a woman, but we're all involved in this. And this man called Arthur Koga gets in touch and says, hey guys, I am absolutely nuts. So he puts his hand up and says, yeah, all right, I'll be the weirdo in this experiment. Um, I imagine they were getting paid, but the story doesn't end well, let me tell you, for, for Arthur. Um, and what they were going to do is they were going to get Arthur... And then they were going to get a sheep, okay? And the thought was this. What if we take a docile animal and a madman, kind of probably quite schizophrenic, probably had some serious issues, but at that time it's, he's just a madman. And what if we put the blood of the sheep into the madman? Will that change the madman to be like the sheep. I don't know if they're expecting him to bar or anything like that. So what would happen if we did that, right? Because there is this thought at this time, for thousands of years, the thought about blood is, the blood is the very life of someone, right? It's like the essence of someone. And so if we take it out of the sheep and put it into the man, and so, I'll be honest with you, this doesn't end well for either of these guys. So they, tr they try this experiment, and anyway, bless him, Arthur. Thank you for your contribution to science. Unfortunately, they died, both of them. But what I want to point out is, is that they believed the life was in the blood, okay? It's not like nowadays, it's if you say blood to someone, oh, well, it's, you know, white blood cells, red blood cells, plasma, what? Platelets. All of the stuff that Karen does, <laughs> or used to do. I was looking over there like, am I getting this right? Yes, phew. Um, but back then, it was very different. And so, um, blood has a kind of quite a big deal in the Bible, doesn't it? And Jesus said some quite challenging things about this. Now, so we're dealing with people who thought, yeah, okay, we get, we get the blood thing. That's fine. The blood is the life. And then Jesus starts saying things like this, though. 
Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on... (laughs) Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Now, not surprisingly, after this, an awful lot of people thought, "Ah, you're all right, Jesus. I think I think I'm all right without you." <laughs> As I think most of us would if someone said that to us right now, without the context of thousands of years of people interpreting things. This is an absolutely shocking statement even though people believe that the very essence of someone was in their blood. They were probably thinking about this, the Jews he was talking to. So this is um, in Deuteronomy. Be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. And you shall not eat the life with the flesh. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. Or Leviticus, it also has a lot of sacrifices. One of mine and Anne's favorite books. Had to get it in there for you. For the life of the body is in its blood. Okay. Um, very good. And it's the thing that purifies you in the sacrifice. It's the blood that makes the purification. And so when Jesus is talking about blood, in the Greek it's translated as this, hyma, blood. So blood of man or animals, but it also refers to in that culture as the seat of life. <clears throat> and the interesting thing is so that's the Greek in the Hebrew is often you see things like that translated the lifeblood. So in oh some of these words for blood are translated in some lifeblood. Okay? So yeah, anyway, let's not go into those words. Otherwise we're gonna get completely lost. So <clears throat> But the word for life in Hebrew is nefesh. And that's translated in an awful lot of different ways in the Bible. Okay, so, so it's life and the lifeblood, but it's the soul self, the life, the creature, like the very thing itself can be seen as that's what the blood is. It's the person, it's the appetite, it's the mind, the living being, it's the desire, it's the emotion, it's the passion of someone. So it's kind of this all-encompassing thing. Okay. And so, although they have this kind of thought of, okay, this is good, I still don't want to drink your blood, Jesus. Right? Who would want to do that? It's pretty, pretty grim. But he, then he, he starts something on the Passover before, and he starts this right here. He's not saying that we actually have to literally <laughs> have a chew on his arm. Right? That's good. Because there's only one of him, and he's gone now. Although he's here. But going around doing this is probably not what he was thinking. Would probably not look cool. And so he starts this amazing thing called communion, which I know we're going to do some tonight as well on that. And I just want to touch on it here. And he took a cup... And when he given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And so when Jesus goes to the cross, it's not simply that 
my sin is forgiven. And I'm like, I'm back to zero. Do you remember last, yesterday in the groups, we were turning um, lies into the truth. But it wasn't just going from minus to zero. It was the double portion. And so Jesus, when when he's on the cross and his blood shed for us, is not simply to get us back to zero. It's to take us into the black in an incredible way, into this new life. And so as we, we begin to drink in communion, it's not just that we're going there because, oh man, I'm, I'm just a sinner and I'm so thankful you saved me. It's everything else that we've seen him do that is available to us. It's like resetting our life. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'm explaining this terribly well. I have the idea in my head and I can't get it out because it's too big. It's everything. He says everything, everything, everything. It's new life. You're a new person. You're a new creation. The old life is gone. The new has come. And so we get to step out into that. And we're not just walking around as sinners who have just about scraped through, right? It's not about just getting to heaven. (laughs) Maybe that's what you think. Hopefully not. But maybe that's, for a large part, and a lot of people, it's, I just got to believe Jesus. I'm going to get to heaven. For a lot of people, it's when Jesus says the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is, after you've believed the right thing, worked for 40 years, had a cruise and then died, then is the kingdom of God, right? But it's not that at all. It is that. Praise God. But Jesus doesn't seem terribly concerned with the afterlife. When he says the, the kingdom of heaven is like right here, and this is what he has brought for us. It's right here and it's right now. And we don't have to think, oh, I have to wait for something. I can just choose to grasp it. Come on, it's good. What's next? Down. Okay. Mm. Mm. okay just one more thing so I was as I was getting this together I was thinking well we're talking a lot about the blood of Jesus um, but it also says take here's my body um it doesn't really expand on that. This is just my body that's broken for you. And I thought, well, he, if it was just all about the blood, then why would he have the, the bread and the body in there? Um, and I just had a thought. So I'm just going to put this out there for Bible nerds, as Bri was saying. Um, uh, in, so in the Old Testament, in the sacrifices that people gave... There were, there were only a few, but well, one kind of, it's called the peace offering, that you would, it wouldn't be go to the priests and on the altar and the whole sacrifice would be made. They would take, in the peace offering, they would take the liver and some other bits and they would be burnt. And then the rest was for the, the worshipper, the one who brought the sacrifice to eat. Well, if you're bringing a lamb or a bull 
or something like that. That's an awful lot of stuff to get through. And you had to eat it in like two days, I think, something like that. And then on, if it was any left on the third day, you had to throw it away. So what would you have to do? You'd have to share it, right? So you have to bring people in and come around. And the, so the peace offering was, it could be, um, it wasn't a mandatory sacrifice. So you chose, it was a voluntary sacrifice. And it was for Thanksgiving and it was for fulfilling a vow and it was just uh, just a free will offering to say this is it and peace offering that everything is good and i just wonder if this is god saying to us this is my sacrifice for you that it's a peace offering because i am at peace with the world the world is forgiven it is finished and it is done it is a thanksgiving for every single person here on this planet because he has created you in his image and so I am thankful for each and every one of you it fulfills a vow and a promise that I made from the beginning of the earth that I'm going to bless you and you're going you're to take my kingdom out you're going to do all this amazing stuff and it's a free will Jesus chose to do it Jesus chose with his power and his choice to say this is it I don't know but that's just a thought because that's the only other thing that we kind of eat when you kind of partake in a sacrifice. And, and God then invites us, right? He makes the sacrifice and he invites us to say, come, come and join me. Come and join the party. That it's not just that, oh, I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's a party when we come to the communion table because of all that he's done. Anyway, that's one for you, Anne. Leviticus. So part three. <clears throat> Um, <laughs> we'll get together and have a chat and you can say, what are you talking about? Absolute cobblers. Stone that heretic. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you like that? Oh, okay. Good. So, okay. I'm going to tell a few stories now. Oh, I thought that was someone clapping then. <laughs> Finally. God, stop talking about the Bible, mate. We've heard it all before. So, <laughs> so this new life. Um, the thing about it is this whole thing is a, is a risk. Right? It's a risk from God. I mean, I understand like he's all powerful, but from my view, this is not the way I would do it. I would not go, these are the people, no offense, but these are the people, this is the person you're going to use. Oh my word. Okay. So the whole thing is a risk. And if we're called to be like God, then I think we might be called to be risk takers, right? I think we might be ones who are meant to step out and take risks. So, what was I going to say about this? Oh, okay. So, I, I had a dream recently, and um, we were away recently with some people in Dartmoor from the church, which was really nice. It was, we had a great time, but while I was there, I had this dream, and it was very short. And I'm in this dream, I'm standing, and Jen is standing next to me. 
she's Jen's my wife, and I'm speaking to this person. I don't know who this is, and I'm explaining to them、uh, that we're moving to Japan. It get it's gonna it's about to get weirder than that. We're, we're moving to Japan, and、um, and then the words out of my mouth are, because I'm going to go and sing in a musical. <laughs> right, and then and then in the and then I turn and I see this city, which I think is Tokyo. That's not blessed. That that's not a word of God. <clears throat> But okay, end of dream. That was it. So I wake up. I wake up at BA with this kind of. I'm going to Japan. Just <laughs> singing a musical. I'd like to visit a lot of places, but Japan is not any. I don't want to visit there any more than any other. And e someone needs to shut the door in there because that's flinging wide. Sorry. Um. And musicals, uh, you know, if you like them, I'm really pleased for you. But um, yeah, I'm not. You know. Anyway. Well done if you do like them. So I don't think it's an actual word. Like I'm not. I don't think you can't ever rule anything out. But I, in the dream, I was quite kind of excited <laughs> about this and quite anxious.、Um, but I think to me, it was God saying to me, it, it, "No, no. All right, let's stop this right now, okay?" Right, we've got plenty of stones out there, and if we got to do a prophet stoning here, you know. <clears throat> But I think it was God saying, "If I ask you to do something, because to move to Japan, forget the musical thing for a moment. The the practicality of to move from here to a a culture that is entirely different, a language that I would have n- no clue where to start. Konnichiwa. That's it. That is." Right, but it's would I leave that behind and take that risk and step out like that? Am I willing to actually leave my old life behind and step into the new life that Jesus has for me and that adventure? That's the challenge. Am I going to do that? Just just ponder that for a second. If maybe not Japan, but if God called you somewhere. To do something that you thought, but you kept getting words about it, and don't keep saying Japan and musicals to me. I know that's not right, but would I would I decide to go and do that? It's a massive risk, but I think that's what we're called to do. And the problem with risks are, and here's the good news: you will fail sometimes. And I realize, you know, come on, man, keep it light. But sometimes you're going to trip. You're going to trip up. But it's not a problem because would you would you rather risk nothing and stay where you are, or would I rather risk doing something and failing? But in the doing something and failing, I'm stepping into something new, even though it didn't work out. I'm trying something new. What's more important to me? 
failure is not a problem, actually. Failure is not an issue. Right? We're all blessed, whether we're the biggest success or whether we've failed big time. And I've failed, you know? And on a lot of occasions, I've sat at the front of church and I can remember one time I spoke and it was awful. It really just was not good. But, you know, these crazy people keep giving me a microphone. <laughs> right? That's the risk they take, yeah. <laughs> That's, fingers crossed, something good's going to come out. <laughs> you know, and you fail all the time. I've been, I've been in bands. Um, man, I mean, that's just, that feels like one failure after another when you do stuff like that. We went to, we did our first kind of gig outside of Dorset when we were, when I was 18, probably 17, I don't know, around that time. And we were going up to Taunton to do this gig. And um, we were really excited. It's like, oh, great, come on, flipping on the road, like a proper rock star. And when we get up there, and there was no one there. Well, there was people there. There was the other support band who had come up with us, who are our friends, and there were two audience members who had also come up with us. Right, and we played the gig. <laughs> but, I mean, that's a fa- <laughs> there's no way to say, well, that's a failure. It's a good story now. But it's something we could have done in someone's living room here, Right? And everyone fit in two estate cars. Two bands, all the gear, and the audience. The only band in Britain who brings the audience with them, right? Now everyone looks at that and it's like, well, that's it. And, and part of you does think, oh, this is the end. <laughs> this is the end of anything, right? But the challenge is when you're, when you're, you're doing something like that and, you're trying, and we're writing our own songs and we're, we're stepping out and it's like and we're having fun and we're creating another thing we're totally called to do. Sometimes you're going to trip up and fail. And I have many other stories and we can talk about those over lunch. Otherwise, we'll just be like, you'll just laugh at me too much. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, risk it is a risk. Um, the whole thing is a risk. Giving a, giving a prophetic word is a risk. Do I know that I know? Well, I, I think so. <laughs> That's as far as I would go. But you step out and you give it, and suddenly you see it touches someone's heart, and it really, um, really does something to you. We've done risk. We've touched on failure. Um, power. Um, God has made you a powerful person. I mean, that's kind of the, to sum up what I was going to say about that is God has made you a powerful person. And part of the stepping out and, and maturing is that sometimes, like Phil was saying, it's almost like he withdraws his presence. It's not because he doesn't love us. But I think it's sometimes because he wants to see what we're going to do. Because he trusts us. Because not only do we trust and have faith in him, he trusts and has faith in us. 
He he has faith in you. That's why Jesus died. Because he said, yeah, this lot, these people in D22 on a Wednesday morning, he trusts and has faith in you. And sometimes we get a bit mixed up with, um, oh God, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. I just need to know what to do. And that's good. Wanting to know the will of God is really good. But we can get into that servant mentality of, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And he doesn't want to necessarily work like that. He doesn't call us servants or slaves. He calls us friends. And friends do stuff together. He wants to hear from us. He wants to know what we want to do. What would you do here? Sometimes I think it's what, you've been through this before. You know what to do. You've seen this. You've felt this. You know what to do here, right? It's part of growing up. It's part of maturing as I take the risk and think, yeah, I think this is what God is saying. At the moment, I don't feel it. At the moment, I don't feel the presence of God. Right on the streets, when we're on the streets in pool, someone comes up to you and says, what's all this about then? And you begin to give them a word and sometimes it's like, I don't feel the presence of God right here, right now, but this person's here. And I believe that there is something in me that I can draw out that God has given me, that he lives in me. And I'll be able to give it to them. It's even in the fruits of the Spirit, self-control, right? It doesn't say God-control. But sometimes we think like that. We think, oh, the Spirit's in me, that means God's going to control me. And God's never going to control you, because that's not love. It's self-control. Part of the maturing process is that I'm able to, it's not that he's ever going to go away from me or leave me alone, but he's like, come on. Come on, you know this. There's something in you that needs to come out because I made you you and you're in this situation for this very moment. Hmm. So you are powerful. You are made to take risks. And failure is not a problem. I think failure, yeah, it's a big deal, right? We always want to look good. But don't worry about that. It's better to take the risk and maybe fail. Hmm. And what do we do with the power that we have? He says, hoping you put it in here. We do this, don't we? Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Okay? So he could say, mountain, get up and move, and it would move. He could repart the Red Sea if he wanted. And yet this is what he says he did, knowing he had all authority. 
whether he was thinking that, whether he was just, it was just in his being. And he says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. This is what we do. We take, we take ourselves out and we say, yeah, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do the best I can for you. I'm going to become that self-sacrificing love, that person that gives, that person that is not just filled up, not just enjoying the Holy Spirit, but giving it away, because that's who we're following. And that's what he's done for us. New life. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've got about 20 minutes, so I'd like to spend a, just a time saying that the communion is there. And as you come and um, take it, I want you to just remember what he's done, that he has forgiven us. But I really feel like it's kind of a recommitment to Jesus. Not in that I've, we've walked away, but in nah, this new life is what I'm stepping into. I choose in this moment to step into that new thing again, where maybe I've got um, overly familiar and I've forgotten the power of Jesus and what he's done. I'm gonna be a risk taker. I'm going to be one who doesn't settle. I'm going to be one who gives it all for the one who gave it all. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to tell you how to do this. If you want to come up on your own, that's absolutely fine. If you want to serve someone, do that. If you want to come up in twos or threes, do that. But I just would ask that you just take your time with it. That maybe you find a space and hear what God's saying. And maybe start that conversation. In this time. So when you're ready... Please come and take communion and experience him.
Joy. 